How many planner watched the Super Bowl today? Okay, most most people. Okay, who who are who's rooting for the Patriots to win today? Let me hear you. Okay, how about the Giants? How many rooting for the Giants? All right, that's a little more even than the first crowd. You know, I like watching football. And you know the part of the football game that I enjoy watching the most? Is I think the pass. I, I love to watch a good quarterback, the way he can, he can throw that ball and he can just kind of thread it through the arms of the defenders and, and lead that, that receiver so he doesn't even break stride and he catches the ball and hauls it in and never breaks stride and just runs and scores. Just I love watching the pass. Now, some of you may say your favorite part of the game, the thing you like to watch is, is the, the run, the running backs, and they zig and zag and move and, and uh, score and spin around and jump and flip and whatever. You know, some of you are more uh, rougher types. You may say, I love the defense. I love the three, 400-pound linemen that just pound people into the dirt, you know, and, and break some bones and, and whatever. But you know what I bet you not one of you will say is your favorite part of the game is the huddle. How many of you say, oh, I just love the huddle. I love when those 350-pound guys stand in a circle, hold hands, and talk. Oh, that's cool. I just love that. None of you probably say that. And just think if we were watching the game today and old Brady got get some... Patriots out there and they get into a huddle. And, and Brady says, okay, this is the play. This is what I want you... This is the play. Run. Turn left. You turn right. This, this is the play. This is the play to run. All right? Break. And then they go sit on the bench. And the clock runs. Then they get up. They come back out and they huddle up again. And Brady says, okay, here's, here's the play. Here's what, here's what we're going to do. This is the play we're going to run. Okay, break. And then they go and sit down. Let the clock run. Well, after about two or three, four times that, you'd be sitting there saying, man, that's stupid. What's he doing, man? Run the play! Right? This is missions month. This is the huddle. We're going to take a month and we're going to huddle. And we're going to talk about the play. We're going to talk about the mission, God's mission. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to do so from the playbook. We're going, to, we're going to look at what God's mission, what God's play is. And at the end of this month, if we break and then we go and sit down, we don't do anything, that would be stupid. So what I want to do in my time with you today is I want to look into the Word of God and I want to clearly define the play, the mission that God has given us. And then I'll be back the last Sunday of this month and I want to talk about how to get into the game. Because not only do we have a play to run, but guess what? You're on the team. Every one of you are on the team. And we need everybody in the game. So today I want to talk about the play. And then the fourth Sunday, the last Sunday this month, I want to talk about how to get in the game and run that play. So let's, uh, 
Let's pray. I'm just going to look at the basics of the mission today. The, the, the what, the why, the who, the where of missions. And then the fourth Sunday we're going to talk about the how. So let's pray and get into it this morning. Father, uh, we just come before you asking God that you would speak to us, Lord. The things that you've laid upon my heart that I believe that you have given me to share with these people. The things that you want to say to FFC today. Say them through me, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let me begin with a question. Simple question. What do missionaries do? Somebody. Preach the gospel. Exactly. The very basic, simple thing. Missionaries preach the gospel. But they usually, part of what defines, separates a missionary from you sitting here doing work in Ankeny, is the missionary crosses some boundaries. Definitely cultural boundaries, language boundaries, many times but not always, uh, geographical boundaries. Who can tell me, what are some verses that tell us we're supposed to go? Say it. Matthew 28. Good. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. What else? Acts 1.8. Good. What else? First service came up with three. You've only got two. They tell me they're smarter than you. One more. Mark 16. Okay, good. We got that's the same three that the morning service came up with. All right, good, good. Those are the verses that tell us to go. Now. When we talk about going, we talk about missionaries going, we talk about, you know, you think about them going out into the jungles and out to those faraway places. The question always comes up about those people in those faraway places in those jungles living out there in Africa or Asia somewhere. And you think about those people that have never heard the gospel. They've never heard the name of Jesus. I talk to people many times, people living all around me, who have never heard the name of Jesus. What happens to those people when they die? I think the Bible is pretty clear. Can you think of any verses that might answer that question for us? What happens to those who have never heard of Jesus? Matthew 25, okay. Okay, separate the sheep and the goats. How about uh, one of the first verses that come to mind, John, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way except through Jesus. And if they don't know who Jesus is, Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Turn to Romans 10. I think, I think Romans 10 is one of the clearest Scripture verses, although there are many, many, many verses. But I think Romans 10 is one of the very clear verses. Romans 10, verses 13, 14, and 15. Romans 10, 13, 14, and 15. 
Verse 13 starts off with some very good news. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Doesn't matter what black, yellow, red, blue, green, tall, skinny, short, fat, whoever. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is for everyone. But that very good news is followed by some so, with some sobering news. Verse 14 says, How then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Missionaries are sent especially to those places where the gospel is not reached yet, to share with those that have never heard. Because those that have never heard, if they die, will spend an eternity in hell separated from God. I think the Bible is clear. And that is a great tragedy. But there is another side to that tragedy that many times we don't speak about. That brings us to the second question about missions I want to talk about tonight, and that's the question of why. Why do we go? What is the end goal of missions? And for the end goal, let's turn to the end. Let's go to Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Let's read what John saw at the end. The end goal of all things. Revelation chapter 5, in verse 9. John writes in the Revelation and he, he, uh, he sees in heaven and the multitudes, they're singing a song. And listen to the song that they sing. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it says, And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Turn over to chapter 7 of Revelation. Again, John, the vision that he saw, the revelation he saw of the end times, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, he writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were sitting wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our Lamb, our, our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Make no doubt about it, all of history is moving towards one goal. And that is the worship of God and His Son by people from every language, tribe, people, and nation. Amen? One day, when the millions of redeemed, the countless of the redeemed, are bowing before the throne in worship of God, missions will stop. Missions will stop. But worship will last forever. Missions exist only because worship does it yet among all people. Missions is not, now I'm a missionary, but missions is not the ultimate goal. Worship is. Because 
Man is not ultimate. God is. You see, salvation is more about what we are saved for than what we are saved from. Not only is the end goal of missions worship, but worship is also the fuel for missions. You see, the highest motive for going is not obedience to the Great Commission, although that's important. The highest motive for going is not a compassion for the lostness of man, although that's important. But the highest motive for going is to see God worshipped among the nations. That's the motive that will keep us and sustain us in our missionary efforts. Too many missions appeals are man-centered and guilt-driven. We need to come back and have a God-centered motive for missions. We said it's a tragedy when somebody dies having never heard the gospel and spends an eternity in hell. But the other side of that tragedy is that God has lost a worshiper for all eternity. Missions is the fuel and the end goal. Worship is the fuel and the end goal of missions. Missions begins and ends in worship. Third question I want to answer is the who. The who of missions. Now, what is the reference uh, for the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission? Matthew 28, 19 and... 20. All right, let's say that together. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Again, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Good. That is the reference for the Great Commission in the New Testament. Who can tell me the reference for the Great Commission in the Old Testament? Some of you are sitting there thinking... Great Commission in the Old Testament? Okay, Isaiah 6 is good. Before that, there's a mistake that we, we make when we, when we read the Bible. Two mistakes we make when we read the Bible. One is we, we tend to read the Bible as 66 separate books. And two is we tend to make ourselves the main character. What I mean by that is I grew up in church. How many of you grew up in Sunday school? Okay, I grew up in Sunday school. My Sunday school teachers were great. They taught me all the, all the Old Testament and New Testament stories, all the stories of the Bible. The problem was, though, I, I learned all these stories of the Bible sort of as just random individual stories. And every time I learned the story, I was always the main character. There was always a personal application about me. But the truth is, the Bible is one story. It has an introduction it has a storyline. It has a conclusion. And the Bible has one character, one main character, and that's God. This is the story about Him. And sometimes we tend to read the Bible from the bottom up. 
and putting ourselves as the main character instead of reading it from the top down, from God's point of view. And I think we miss some things. So what I want to do real quick in, in answering this question, the who of missions, I want to just kind of look at, at, at a main theme from Genesis to Revelation in the Word of God to help us understand our mission. Now think with me for a minute. What is the very first command that God ever gave to mankind? Don't eat the fruit? No, He gave one before that. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was the very first command that He gave. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the Scatter over the surface of the earth. Now, if man was to do that, what would happen? Over a period of time, if man multiplied and filled the earth, what would happen over time is that we would develop a mosaic of cultures and languages and people groups. Yes? God, in the very beginning, said, told man to multiply and fill the earth because He wanted a global worshiping worshiping church. That's what He wanted. He wanted global worship from a mosaic of cultures, giving Him the greater glory. Do you see the end goal? In the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. So after God finished the tour of the uh, Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and and all that, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, they sinned. Never, never ended up scattering. They sinned. Their descendants didn't scatter. Their descendants rebelled against God. And by Genesis chapter 6, God was like, what did I even make these people for? And so what did He do in Genesis chapter 6? He destroyed them with a flood. Except for one family. Noah and his family. Worshippers of God. Put them on a boat. And when Noah and his family got off the boat in Genesis chapter 9, look at Genesis chapter 9. What, did, what was the first thing that God says to him when they got off of the boat? Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And again in verse 7, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Again, God's stating His purpose. From the very beginning to the very end, God's purpose is that the whole earth would be filled with His glory and be worshiping Him. That's God's purpose from the beginning. We see it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Noah's descendants got off the boat. And what did they do? Did they scatter and fill the earth? No. Look over in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Is that rebellion or what? 
They said, we're going to come together, we're going to make glory, we're going to get glory for ourselves, make a name for ourselves, and not be scattered. So what did God do? God's purposes can't be stopped. Amen? So, look, look at verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, as if when people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So down to verse 8. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. And then from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. They wouldn't scatter, so God scattered them. And He divided them into 70 distinct language people groups. And then, that is the introduction. And then we come to Genesis chapter 12. And Genesis chapter 12 then begins the plot for the story of the Bible. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, And the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let me, let me paraphrase. God looked down from heaven at the 70 distinct people groups that He created and He said, I love every people group equally and I want to draw them to Myself as worshipers so that I can lavish My love upon them. And so I'm going to choose you, Abraham. And I'm going to bless you. But you're not going to be the destination of my blessing. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the people groups on earth. Blessed to be a blessing. Now before we go on, I want us to make sure we understand a people group. Can I have this slide? A people group is a grouping of individuals who perceive themselves to have a common affinity for one another because of language, culture, and religion. This right here, we're a people group. We're a people group. For evangelistic purposes, we define it this way. It's the largest possible group of people within which the gospel can spread as a church planning movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. This is the Great Commission in the Old Testament. God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I want you to be a blessing to every people group on earth. He told Abraham that three times. And then he told Isaac that. And then he told Jacob that. And you know what I've always wondered? God is always referred to as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I thought, I thought to myself many times, Isaac, he didn't really do much. And Jacob, he's a deceiver and a liar. And God could have been known by the God of Daniel or the God of David or the God of so many others. Why is he always known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I believe it's because God wants His name associated with this covenant. 
that He says, I will bless all the nations, all the people groups on earth. It's His mission. It's what He is doing. It's what He's been doing from the beginning, and He's going to do it until the end, until we see in Revelation where people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation are worshiping before the throne. It is His mission. That mission theme continues into the New Testament. When Jesus gives us the Great Commission, let's turn there real quick. Matthew 28. A couple things I want to look at. What I have to do with that? Commission. As we answer the question, who? The who of missions. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is the main verb in the Great Commission? The main verb is make disciples. Actually, it's the word. It's actually the verb disciple. The word make is not actually in the original. It's disciple. Disciple is the main verb there. Now, I don't know a lot about English, but uh, in Laos, I'm an English teacher, and so I've been learning English. All right. And the verb disciple is what we call a transitive verb. That means it has to have an object. Okay? It's like uh, the sentence, Tom sees. Okay? Tom is the subject. Sees is the verb. But Tom sees what? It's got to have an object. Tom sees Mike. Okay? So... Sees is a transitive verb. Same thing here in the Great Commission. Disciple is a transitive verb. And what is the object of disciple, the verb disciple in this commission? All nations. nations. Very good. Very good. This is not a discipleship command like what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, where he said, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This command here, he said, I want you to disciple all people groups, all nations. The word nations in the Greek, it's ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnic group. What we have here is maybe rather than calling it the Great Commission, we should call it the Great Recommission. He's repeating what God had told to Abraham, and he's telling it to us that we, our commission is to make disciples or disciple the nations. Now, how do you disciple a nation? Invite them all to your living room and hold a Bible study? No. It tells us here. It says two things. One, baptize them. And then number two, teach them to obey. Baptizing them, getting them to stand up and identify themselves as followers of Jesus. And then teaching them to obey. Teaching them to be obedient. When you have a group of people who have, through baptism, identified themselves as followers of Christ, and they're living in obedience to Him, you know what you have when you have a group of believers like that? You have a church. 
You have a church. And so what the command is, what the commission is, what the mission that Jesus has given us is this. Go to every people group on earth and start churches. Give me the next slide there, Chris, please. Our missionary task is not merely to organize a church on foreign soil to win as many individuals as possible, but to initiate a church planting movement in every distinct people group that will propagate the gospel through that entire culture and eventually other cultures as well. The focus of the mission is the people groups of the earth. So to complete the task, give me the next slide, it will require that in every single one of the people groups on earth, at some point in history, there will be a movement of baptized and obedient disciples capable of evangelizing their entire people group until there are such movements in every people group we have not completed the mandate Christ gave us. This means that even though Ankeny has a lot of needs and is a fruitful ministry for us to be obedient to the commission that God gave us some of you are going, going to need to leave this fruitful needy place and go to a people group that has never heard if we are going to finish the task that God gave us and be obedient So the who are the nations. So, how are we doing at our task? Give me the next slide. In Africa, in the continent of Africa today, 50% of the people in Africa are Christians. Isn't that amazing? In 1900, it was only 3%. In China, 4.7 million are baptized a year. They say some 28,000 people a day in China become Christians. More Christians in China than in the U.S., in Brazil, there are more new churches opening every year than any other country in the world. Some 3,000 churches a year in the country of Brazil. In Seoul, Korea, 7,000 churches alone. Many of them, over 10,000. Indonesia, the, po- the Christian population in Indonesia is nearing 25%. The government will no longer print the statistics because the, the Muslim government doesn't want people to know how quickly people are becoming Christians in Indonesia. The non-Western countries make up more than 50% of the entire missionary force. Now, you might read that and say to yourself, well, wow, the job's getting done then, right? Because look at all the people in all these countries. The gospel is penetrating all these countries and the gospel is everywhere. It's, I can just kick back and take it easy now. Wrong. Because remember, the focus, the who of the Great Commission is not just individuals, it's people groups. God says, I will have representatives from every people group on earth in heaven. The focus of people groups. And there are still many people groups who are unreached. Let's put it this way. In these countries, even though thousands are coming to Christ, there are still many who will never hear the gospel because there's nobody to tell them in their language and in a cultural way they understand. Or to put it another way, if every church member in the world today were to bring their friends and relatives that are like them to to faith in Christ, and their friends and relatives did the same, 
No matter how much time we allowed, there would still be millions of people who never come to Christ because there is nobody in their people group that speaks their language that can present the gospel to them in a cultural way that they understand. You see, the world is not like a pancake. It's like a waffle. Okay? If you have a pancake, you can pour syrup in the middle and it just kind of evenly runs all over the whole pancake. Right? But a waffle has all the little pockets in it. And you pour the syrup, you've got you to gotta move it all around. Especially if you're like me, I like drenched in syrup. And you've got to move it all around to get it in all the pockets. Well, in these countries where God is doing amazing things, there are still pockets of people and people groups who have never heard the gospel. Because there is no one to tell them in their language. So there are two kinds of people groups in the world. One, give me the slide is the reached people groups. A people group is considered reached when it has a strong enough church to evangelize its own people. This in no way suggests that all the individuals within a people group have become believers or even yet encountered the claims of Christ. That's the goal of evangelism. Guess what? Our people group is reached. Okay? Now that's not to say that everybody in America are all white Americans like you and I are saved. But we have a strong enough church and resources to evangelize our people group. That's your job as a member of this church, is to evangelize Ankeny and beyond. But it's also your job as a church to send missionaries to go to other people groups that are not reached. Give me the next slide. Unreached people groups. A people group is considered unreached if there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize its own people outside cross-cultural assistance. That's the missionary going in and, 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 and sharing the gospel and then training those people to evangelize their own. International Mission Board statistics tell us that there are 11,227 people groups on earth today. And the statistics also tell us that 6,600 of those people groups are still unreached. They either have no Christians or they have just a handful of Christians and not a church strong enough that they can do the work to evangelize their own people. And they need cross-cultural assistance. They need missionaries to come and help them. That is our task. That must, those 6,600 people groups must be a priority. Now, the task, it's measurable. And it's completable. Where? Where do we find all these people? Where do we find these people groups? In a place called the 1040 window. How many of you heard of the 1040 window before? Raise your hand. Okay, how many say I've never heard of the 1040 window? This is the first time. Okay, I'm about half and half. 1040 window, it's, it's 10 degrees and 40 degrees north of the equator. And in that window, that red box there, the countries, the over 50 countries in that box, which includes Asia, the Middle East, and Northern Africa, two-thirds of the world's population live in that window. And 95% of the world's unreached live in that window. And this window includes the strongholds of, of Buddhism, of Islam, of Hinduism, and of course the Chinese, and then all the tribal animus. 
About 80% of the world's poorest of the poor live in this window. Now, also the countries in this window, most of the countries in this window are closed to traditional missionaries. Laos is in this window where I'm a missionary. I cannot be in Laos as a missionary. I cannot get a missionary visa. I have to have a job. I have to have a reason, a platform for being there. That's why I'm an English teacher. In some of these countries, it's dangerous to go. It's difficult to be there. It's hard to get in. But the biggest problem is not how to get into these countries to share the gospel with those that have never heard. The biggest problem is finding people willing to go. Because you see, statistics tell us that out of all the missionaries that go, only 10% go to the 1040 window. Only one out of 10 that go, go to the least reached, to the unreached. To give it some perspective, Peru has one missionary for every 240 people. Brazil has one missionary for every 276 people. Mexico has one missionary for every 2,700 people. Those are the easier places to go. But by contrast, Iran has one missionary for every 3 million people. India has one missionary for every 2 million people. Pakistan has one missionary for every 213,000 people. Turkey, one missionary for every 270,000 people. Vietnam, one missionary for every 2 million people. We have a distribution problem. Not only with personnel, but with money. Out of every dollar, every U.S. dollar given to missions, only a half a penny goes to the 1040 window. And people, that is our mission. That is our mission. It's going to reach every people group. That has been God's intention from Genesis to Revelation. Give me the last last slide. <clears throat> Remember, God's purposes can't be stopped. Habakkuk 2.14 God said to the prophets, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In Malachi 1.11 He said, My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. The church that lives, the church that exists without a vision of seeing the glory of the Lord fill the earth is living in danger of serving their own visions of greatness. The question for us today is not how does a missions program fit into our church? The question for us today is How does our church, and by that I mean you, how does our church fit into God's global plan? Life is short. You really only have time for one passion. 
Do you have a passion to see God glorified, worshipped among the nations?